Elaine Benfield and welcome to another episode of Her Stories. I just am seeing this beautiful smiling face and I'm so excited today to have Gail DeCoco on this episode of Her Stories. Welcome Gail. Hi Elaine. So some of you know I've known Gail for so many years. We've worked together in a variety of different teams. Um, she's been a fabulous colleague of mine. We've traveled truly all around the world together and you know, I always start off her stories, why someone's inspiring, and Gail and I have been talking about her being a guest on her stories since I started. I always felt, you know, I met Gail, I find her super inspiring, her passion, um, and really what I love is her dedication for, you know, your background, your heritage, but giving back really to, you know, the diversity, inclusion, community is bar none. You know, you you and I both are so passionate about it, but I think some people say it and you really do it. And you just, you know, it's a pleasure working with you. I'm so happy I always say that, you know, you're in my really truly inner circle as you know. Um, and I just, I find you inspiring for what you do every day. So I'm super happy that you're here today. It's an honor to be your guest and thank you for inviting me. Of course, so let's start off with, tell me, who's Gail? Who's Gail? Um, so Gail Daikoku Bommelaire, that's the other name. I have three names. My husband always asks me what are the rest of them. But Gail Daikoku, the person that you see here. I am the, um, I'm a mother of two grown daughters. I am a just hit my 10 year anniversary at SAP. But before all of that stuff, you know, I was just a um, third generation Sansei kid that grew up in the Bay Area, and what that means is third generation of Japanese American immigrants. Uh, so I'm the third generation sensei. And a I've been thinking about this a lot. A lot of who I became as this person that you know now is because of those roots that over the years, I realized um, as a Japanese American woman of color, I guess that's what we say these days, that. Along the way, you know, particularly around schooling, university, career, here we are, you know, kind of, I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning, that a lot of that was something I learned as a kid, which was assimilation. So when you grow up um, as a kid um, in an environment with lots of different families, you know, you, you, we didn't talk about when we were kids, diversity or people were different as much as we do today, right? So I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of the who is Gail. And my roots are really tied to those, ex those memories, those experiences of how I grew up, how mm -hmm. I went to university, how I started working constantly. I, you know, I, the only leave I took was when I had babies and took some leave, but you know, working mom, kind of like you yeah. know, that cycle, you know, you know it as well. And to this place that we work together today, SAP, which has actually been pretty a pretty amazing workplace, and I've been lucky because I've worked in some great workplaces where we're encouraged to bring our authentic self, I think that's how we say it, so that we can all run at our best. So like that journey from childhood to mm -hmm. you know schooling university to now, it, and thinking about like my passion around D-I-E-B, if you want to use all the acronyms and all the other ones too, yeah. has really been around that journey of who who I became, this person I became over many decades, and who you see today. So, And I know we're going to explore this in the discussion, 
but that's what it was. You know, I, I grew up, you know, uh, oldest daughter of two. Uh, my parents were both, um, you know, I would we would describe them as working class blue collar. My dad was a, a Japanese American gardener, um, if there was a stereotype when I grew up at the time. And my mom also um, kind of worked, at, I want to say she started working like around elementary school and she did like people's houses. She like did house cleaning, errands, things like that. So that's what she did. So I grew up around a working mom, but not the same yeah. definition that you and I had. So that's, that's kind of my background and how I landed here. I don't know if that's the well, answer you wanted, but that's No, maybe. no, it's perfect because it leads into so many different conversations. And I think, you know, both of us my you know, as we've talked about before, you know, I'm first generation American I might look like what you think an American looks like, but I'm not. I'm a right. half German. And I think that that's part of diversity that I might be able to blend different. And that to me is, you know, that was my childhood. But then when people, you know, I had their different religions too. So then people are like, oh, well, wait, you're Catholic and Jewish. And so the kind of, but it made me, as we talk about, it made me who I am today. Do you remember some of your childhood memories of, you know, we talked about your father in the past you know, there's been tumultuous times of, you know, and we'll get into kind of the evolution. As a child, do you remember hearing stories from your dad about you know, the hardships and, and everything, what he went through to provide a good life for you and your sister with your mom? Actually, no. And this is the funny, not funny part of it. So, and I, I recently saw a lot of my cousins because one of his sisters fairly recently passed away. And, and now I'm the person doing the eulogies because I have some of the family history, a story for another day. Um, but, you know, when we were all growing up, they didn't talk about internment camps, what happened to them during the war, you know, that they lost everything essentially, were thrown into basically prison camps, lost everything, you know, and then after that they all went to Japan and, in, in, you know, different cases came back. But they never talked about those hardships. We were just living life in the present sort of 10th present day around cousins and Did they shield you or they just didn't talk about it? Because my mother was saying, like I she think, protected I me. I think almost. they didn't talk about it because they were shamed actually. I mean, we never, as a family, the, you know, the cousins, we talk about this every time we gather, but it was kind of this dark time. Um, mm -hmm. And um, my dad used to say this term and I'll probably massacre it. So if anybody speaks Japanese, forgive me. He would always say, Shkatanai, and it was basically, doesn't matter, move on, you know, in this term, right? Um, and it doesn't matter. And so, like, and, and then I learned along the way, one of my cousins said, ah, Uncle Tom, my dad's name was Tom, he told me all this stuff in high school when we were doing that stuff. I was like, he never told us. So I got the history, mm -hmm. actually later in life, um, from a, one of his great friends, uh, who we used to drive to West Sacramento from here, because I'm in the Bay Area, to go visit um, him, and he told stories. And that's how I learned about some of the really big details about who my father was before mm -hmm. I knew Dad, um, and that he was basically a badass. Um, the quick story there is, during the war, um, if, for those of you who may not know, um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order, 9066, that basically voluntarily evacuated um, Japanese Americans into these uh, assembly centers and then threw them to camps. Well, in the case of my father um, and his um, family, and I think, I always forget how many, I think it was like 10 of them. I, I always forget, I always have to write them down, how many uncles, mm -hmm. how many aunts. They, um, 
they had kids that were, I think his oldest sister was maybe around 20, 19, and the youngest son was like two or three. So all the everybody in the family could only take what they could carry when they went to these assembly centers and uh, evacuate and stuff. Um, so this order where they lost everything they went, they went to a certain camp. And in my father's case, they ended up at Tule Lake. Tule Lake is the only of the intern camp, internment camps that had machine guns and like that kind of security because these were families or some indication that they were going to be disloyal to what was happening. You know, they were basically, in some sense, I would say, they were questioning what, how does this happen in America? I mean, again, yeah. not their words, my words. So they got, they were all sent to Tule Lake. And the point of telling you this story is what I found out of my, my father, my uncle, his older brother, and I guess his, his father was because they were labeled disloyal, it was related to something some kind of a questionnaire because they were of age to be drafted, where they they were labeled no-no boys because there were these two clauses. One was, you know, you you disavow the emperor or something like that, and then will you serve for the United States after being thrown into prison? The answer was no, and my answer would have been like, hell no. Hell Anyways, no. so they actually got separated and sent to, I think it was North Dakota during this time they were in their internment camp. So they were separated from their family because... They were no-no boys, which essentially means these were the badasses that were like, yeah, screw up. And so I always attribute that characteristic and that story of my bad, my dad to like, well, that kind of makes sense with me. It does. It, it does. But well, that, you, that's history. But do you feel, you know, so it's interesting because my mother did the same. She shielded the trauma. And until she got older, she then talked about remembering the bombs going off in Berlin during World War you know, II. And... You know, do you are do you wish your dad would have told you more stories versus hearsay, or do you feel? I mean, it's you can't change it, but do you think it would have yeah. helped you better understand? Really, I mean, you what know, he went through. I, you know, I think about that time right when we're forming who we are mm -hmm. as young children, uh, and I would say this: I wish that maybe around the high school age, when you're actually talking around going away, because like at that time, it's like. I'm going away, and I went to L.A., I went to the University of Southern California, and it was like making that decision when you knew where you're going. Oh, yeah, that's pretty far away, right? Plus, it's a great university. I'm, like, never coming back. But, you know, at that time when you're sort of forming your opinions, your independence, yeah. do I wish that we would have had more conversations? Absolutely, because I didn't know a lot of that stuff. If you do the timing right, I didn't find out about that no-no boy stuff until, like, I had kids, which was, like, 20-ish years late, more than that, a long time later. And it was because of that chance visit where we were sitting down and they were visiting and I was watching the kids or something. And his friend, nobody was like, you, you know, basically he's, he didn't say it this way. He was like, you, you know your dad was like basically a badass is what he was saying, but that's not how he said it. And that stuck with me. Um, and I don't know if, it, if he would have, you know, talked more, maybe a little bit. We got a little bit here and there. And it was only until um, when he was uh, visiting me a lot, you know, before he went into hospice and stuff, because he passed away in 2017. He, we spent a lot of time with him. He was, I remember one time we were, I think we were at his house, and my husband was with me. And he just, it was one of those rare times where he started talking. And, and Troy, my husband, was like, what are you doing? He's like, take notes. So I whipped out my computer, started typing, because I type way faster. I think you do as well. Mm -hmm. And I just... Whatever history I got from that one day when he was talking in a little refinement is why now my cousins say, hey, um, 
can you do the family eulogy because you have that all (laughs) see that's and it's such a gift to have that because i do feel that you know for your daughters to know the stories um did you feel you know growing up did you feel discriminated where you were how do you you remember like what's your first impression remember being like someone because i have a vivid memory of someone being like wait a second i have to jump along yeah i have two examples you know like in school um you know when i was little you'd have the little boys doing this to you Mm -hmm. and stupid things like that and you just learn to ignore it and i never i i would say I felt this bias because it was the bias of, oh, you're Asian, you're such a brain. And I mean, it was that kind of stuff that you just kind of like dealt with. Um, and I wasn't the smartest kid in the world. I'm, truthfully, like in high school, it's like, oh, that, there's the brain kids up there, but they're my friends. <laughs> um, so, you know, in childhood and, you know, those years, I never felt it the way we see it today. I mean, I think this has been an evolution, but there was... Um, one experience that I had where it sort of struck me that there are places in the United States sometimes that at this timing, when I give you the timing, it was like, that just felt weird. And I was with, he was my boyfriend at the time, but he's my husband now. I want to say I met him around uh, 1990-ish. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I was going to go meet his parents in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Albuquerque, New Mexico is in the United States. I know some people still think that's somewhere else, and some days I wonder. But that first visit, when and there was a hell of a ride to get there. I just remember this whole flight getting there finally. When I got there, the first thing we did was go walk around the mall, and there was this mall there. And I talk like I talk, right? I mean, you know, I'm very... It's What you see is what you get. And we were walking through this mall, and we are just having this conversation, and I kind of like looked at him and stopped him for a minute. He goes, what? And I go, dude, do you not like realize like as we're talking and walking through this mall, there are people stopping and turning around and staring at us because he's a kind of a tall white dude, right? Mm-hmm. I go, and he, 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 and he sort of was like, what? And so we kept going. And then he kind of, he kind of recognized mm-hmm. it. And it was like, I don't want to say I was the first Asian person they ever saw there because that's not true, you know, in the 90s. There, there were certainly people... Yeah from different places, but whatever was going on that day, there were at least a couple people that stopped and were like, oh, well, that sounds like a normal person. It was just weird, right? So to answer that question, personally, you know, there have been some things that have happened, not that stick with me per se, but there were a couple of moments where it did cause pause, and that goes back to this whole thing about my whole life probably, it's this balance of assimilating or whatever word we want to use to a situation. It's situational, right? Even in business, yeah. it's yeah. always situational, reading the room, reading the situation. It, it, tr- it truly is. And it's, you know, I think that now what we're going to lead into is, you know, I don't remember when I first started in tech, I'm going to age myself very quickly, like 25, 30 years ago, we didn't talk about diversity and inclusion. We didn't talk right. about equality. We didn't talk... You know, I just remember we were labeled, you know, as the different categories in whatever role you were. I remember being a booth babe and all these stupid things that they used to put labels <laughs> on you. And they wanted me to parade in front of like, you know, get people to come to your booth and whatever. And it was like, right. oh, well, I actually can talk, talk technology. And people were stunned that, oh, you know, that girl could actually talk tech. Whereas they might look at you and go, oh, well, she could talk tech. Like it was 
I remember those things. Yeah. But do you see the evolution from your career that we talk about? We work for a very open company. That is one of the things I absolutely love about SAP and like companies in general that feel this. Do you remember going into work that, you know, we didn't have that. Like it just, we didn't, it's definitely more yeah, common today. But yeah, do you I mean, remember I'm a, I'm a little older than you, but we're kind of in the same. Yeah, just we like, are in the same. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I when I think about work, this is, you know, there's like maybe four big chunks that I would say, even when I sort of say what's my experience, right? The four big chunks of experience were one of my first corporate jobs was for Ticketmaster now Live Nation. We sold tickets. It was a cool job. I got to go see some acts mm -hmm. and I, it's when I lived in LA um, and, and funny story, that job and all of them were through my network, not because I applied for a job, but those jobs came through network. So I worked there for a couple of years and in that culture, it was a couple of men owners, very old school from the promotion days and whatever, but there was a certain way they ran that company. I, I wasn't there long, uh, I think a couple of years, um, and then you know did some freelancing. And then my next company was where I stayed for 10 years. So I'm weird, so this will definitely age me. I was at Sony Pictures Entertainment for 10 years uh, in a business that doesn't really exist today, but before there was... Netflix and HBO streaming and whatever there was this and 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 before Netflix was Netflix that we know they had these little discs they used to ship and before those discs there were these videotapes so I grew up in the video business which like you know our kids you'd have to like physically show them they kind of know what it is but barely understand what a DVD is right um, and so I grew up at Sony Pictures around the motion picture business around the lot it was so cool, you know, still very dominated by men, but you know, mm -hmm. we didn't talk about it. And, and I was white, white men, right? It was yeah, really, yeah, a lot cool. of, and I was, I was lucky because a lot of my mentors were those men, but they were always bringing us up. It's actually where the idea came to me at the time to apply to business school to get an MBA. Cause they were like picking up the high potential people and like, why aren't you doing this? And I like hadn't like, it never crossed my mind. And that's right. where, that's where that started. So so from Sony, I was then um, a Gartner analyst for 13 years, a big chunk of my career. That's also when I had my kids. But, you know, that was my first entry into tech. After the MBA, mm -hmm. you go into tech. And again, myself too, you know, 20-ish, 24, however many years, right, around tech where it became more noticeable, uh, more visible mm -hmm. about how few women and people with some diversity yeah. might exist into those opportunities because it's how you get invited into those rooms, right? And the kind of rules we have. Fast forward into coming here, you know, to SAP, just hit 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, totally different times we live in, but really kind of cool that this is a company that, you know, we have work mm -hmm. to do as well, even though we've hit some metrics that we yeah. see on the table. I mean, if you think about women are 50% of the population, so, you know, plus yeah. or minus, right? And yet, you know, even in our company, we're only at, I think, was it 35% leadership? Yeah. You know, we still have yeah. a ways Which to go. Which is steadily increasing, but right. still I'm always shocked where it's like, you know, and then of course the, you know, I think the traditional roles, and I'm sure you felt this way from your previous roles of, you know, especially at Gartner and SAP, you know, women go into marketing and women go into yeah. PR and women go into HR. And it's like these things where I think tech does take away some of the boundaries because 
you, you can have that diversity a little bit more, in my opinion, like just with our company, I do look around going, we, because we're global, we cannot be this homogeneous company. We just can't. Right, right. So, you know, and, and to that point, like the paths, um, you know, tend to be around communications, people oriented, you know, you know, pulling together programs. And, and I would say this is true pretty much for our team as well, that, you know, our job is to connect relationships and dots, right? We, we're great at it. That's what we do. But um, that's why we ended up in marketing and coming here into marketing. I actually, my mentor who drew me here first as a contractor and then, you know, 10 year career, uh, he was like, I was like, marketing? Because I was an analyst. He goes, yeah. I was like, marketing? And he's like, no, you're doing this. And like, I never labeled what that analyst yeah. job was, even though truthfully, it's all about strategy, marketing, you know, yeah. it's everything. Go to market. And I never thought of it that way. So even in terms of the journey yeah. and where we landed, it's it's interesting. And thinking it's, about, but it, it is with that lens of, you know, being open to look around and sort of yeah. seeing how lead, how we lead, right? And how this yeah. company runs and stuff. So many and I think I think it is, people are more comfortable. I just, what we talk about all the time, we have a diverse team and I love it. And I just feel that I don't want to see anyone that looks like me. I just don't. I know that right. that's, we do have, you know, my, one of our colleagues, we look similar, <laughs> um, but I do, <laughs> I look and I don't want that. I want to hear from people that have different backgrounds, men, women, you know, everything in between. Um, so how did you get involved in DNI? Because DNI term, you know, diversity and inclusion, well now, and I have to look at it, it's like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So D E I B. <laughs> and I don't want to say it wrong, but that has been, you know, how did you get involved in it? Because you so, and I just have a core passion, but I, I don't remember how you first started and was it here at this company currently or was it before? I, you know, I, I want to say that. Um, it's probably more visible since we've been at SAP mm -hmm. to some degree because we have some of the structures around us and a little bit of freedom, if I can use that word, to be able to pursue those passions, you know, it, as part of what we do around what we do. So I would say, um, you know, in terms of signaling um, the interest, uh, interest and the passion and kind of channeling that away, it was absolutely here because we had the space to do that um i would say that for me the drive um you know the motivation to get there largely centered around that moment of when my father finally did pass away in 2017 um you know and that's about the midpoint of me being here i was already sort of thinking about what's the change i want to bring i mean when somebody really close to you that you know is one of your heroes um, passes away you have time to reflect and there were some things that happened around that time you know, my push around self-care, mental health, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. That was part of the movement. But the a word that was like in front of me constantly, and I try and use as much as I can, was thinking about legacy. Legacy in the sense of what was his legacy? How do I keep telling his stories? Even, you know, to my children's credit, them telling their the family stories yeah. um, because... Uh, you know, we have to use our voice. So it was around, I would say it was around that time where I started to become more I remember, vocal. I remember that. That's interesting when you're talking. Uh, I remember yeah, and that, it's, you know, it's really around that. how we empower our voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have two daughters, to my credit and my dismay sometimes. Mm -hmm. They are both very strong, vocal women. And that is not, I, that happened because, I guess, by design and environment. Mm -hmm. But... That is something hard to, you know, hard to teach mm -hmm. or show. 
So they live with somebody who, by design, um, does that, right? Which is why why we click. You and I are both, and and it's the good and bad, like, because you and I can be at it, but then it's like, oh, but we're just so passionate and right. we're, that, we're like the fire that it's like, but you push me to be better. And well, I hope that I do the other, same. Right? We push each that, other. We just do. And that's yeah, so, sort of being a strong person that, you know, I do think it's interesting because I have strong children too. And it's like, some days I wish they weren't, but. Yeah, some days it's like, you know, so now what I need to show you is how to do the pause and the reflection, yes, which again, even for me is really, really hard. But it's part of the continual journey we're on, you know, learning about ourselves, who we are. I mean, I always tell them, this person you see, you know, at my ripe old age here, this was years in the making. I didn't start off this way. I was quieter when I was younger, when I didn't have confidence. I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm quieter, (laughs) sometimes I'm not, um, as you know me. Uh, So, you know, we talk about legacy, and I do think that that's something that, you know, as you know, I lost both my parents too, and that is so important. And I do tell my kids a story, and, and you know, my youngest son, I was 20 weeks pregnant, so he never met my dad. And so I constantly tell stories do you feel that DNI is part of that of, you know, all of us sharing what our history is to help define what this, you know, being inclusive to everyone? I I absolutely believe that's part of it. I mean, you know, um, when I think about, I mean, our job is also to help people tell their stories, to coach them a lot of times on how we do it. And, and we have to, by design, then be master storytellers ourselves you know, in terms of how we engage with people we work with. So um, I do feel fortunate that, and, and I believe your children are the same. We can't call them children, they're adults. No, now uh, I have we all, both of ours are all adults now. As of, yeah, as so of the, Wednesday, I've all, all above. So our young adults, right, these, these humans that, you know, sometimes are still children, but they, you know, they're, they're coming into their own. Um, I think because they've lived around us, they've become really good at telling their own stories. You know, I use the example of my two daughters. They, they both pretty much know who they are at this point. One of them has known who she is for like since she was about twelve. You know, and and that's that's what therapy helps with too, right? But both of them are coming into their own in their own ways, um, despite the many challenges they might see that are you know part of how life goes, but. One thing strikes me, particularly with my younger daughter, um, is um, the, that power of telling stories and how we show them was when she was, a couple years ago when she was in AP US History, that little blip of unit came up about World War II and internment. Because even today, like we barely talk about it. It's like literally because it's at the end of what they have to study before they take the test. You almost miss it, right? But when this, this professor or this teacher that she had um, she raised her hand, used her voice, said, hey, I have a book. And, or actually, she took the book. I do have this picture book. I said, "She go, can I go show it to Mr. Mock? I said, yes, you absolutely can. So she took it, and he messaged her saying, would your mom be cool if I held on to it for a couple weeks because he wanted to use it as a tool to share with the yeah. class. So it meant a bunch of people would be touching it. I was like, yeah, it's an old book. Just you know, try, you know, keep yeah. track of it. Yeah. And that was fine because that's how sometimes those photos, because we don't yeah. have any other recollection, are the best ways to tell stories. So I think this idea of how we take who we are 
and apply that to something like, you know, in this case, DEIB. For me, it's around the inclusion and belonging pieces, around company culture, around people, because, like, we work at SAP, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I would, I know there's times when we encounter a colleague or a situation where we can tell that uh, some, that person or that situation is such that they don't feel empowered enough or mm -hmm. strong enough, safe enough to say something. And so it's up to us as allies to kind mm -hmm. of bring them into that conversation, whoever that person is, right, woman, man, whoever, to bring them into the conversation. Because that's really, for me, what's, what sticks to me around that acronym, around that idea of making people feel safe and welcome. Um, and, and, you know, to truth be told, that's part of the culture that we build together, right? It doesn't happen. It's the people who make it. It's that the people. Happen. And, you know, it's what I would love to get. Can you give examples? Because I think when people talk about DNI and they talk about you know these organizations and how we're like, oh, our company's really good. And I know when people leave, you know, certain companies, they want to look for that in another company. Can you go through? Because it's interesting. Like, you know, we talk about you know there's different workshops. We talk about that there's like networking. And what are some of the things that you've been involved in? Because I'd love concrete examples of, you know, what is it that makes SAP or just in general a company? Uh, yeah. you know, you know, I could give you a, a couple of examples. So I would say one of the coolest things I, I've had the pleasure of doing here was last um, fall. So um, through our corporate social responsibility groups, you know, which is basically volunteer ambassadors, we lead projects, you do a lot of them, I do some of them here in Palo Alto. There, um, we have cohorts, I don't remember if it's twice a year or once a year, but there, there was a cohort for pro bono for economic equity. And this particular cohort that I joined was for black owned businesses, but also indigenous owned businesses. So in that example, a team of three of us were assigned um, an indigenous woman owned business. She actually had three of them. And we talked about two of them and it turned out to be kind of a branding, you know, go to market mm -hmm. thing and stuff. So we got to take who we are into that project mm -hmm. and in a pro bono way, uh, allocate some time to work on this project. So that's one example of how, um, you know, my, my D&I passions led me to something that. with, you know, leadership sign off to yeah. kind of take some time to work on those things and to bring something to life that actually is part of passion, but also your skill set that you do it. Uh, you know, and you're helping your real world example of helping. Like, you know, as right. we talked about, like, workshops are great in networking and helping, you know, always have a door open for someone who doesn't feel that they're included and help them have the voice. But actually being hands-on, and I think, you know, we have we have social sabbaticals that you can do those things. Right. I'm waiting for my last one to launch because I'm, like, really want to do the program yeah, and same. go away and just it's something that I've just, you know, I think there's some companies I think you have to, you know, if, if you're not with our company and you're another company – Ask the company what you can do. Ask if you can take days off, you know, to give back to the community and help. It is amazing. You and I both get this rush. Every time I do a volunteering, I'm like, when's my next one? I, I almost, well, it's, it's like I feed off of it. It's like, for me, I describe it as my own self-care because we feed off of people. I mean, that's where I get my energy most of the time. And it's also where it's drained sometimes too. But, you know, I, I get so much energy from that act of giving of yourself, right? You know, because it's not related, and we get to do that as part of the hours we get and whatever. And every company, we're lucky because tech companies usually give you an allocation of time. Um, 
and uh, and I think ours is something like eight hours, like a full day or yeah. whatever. And then, you know, we we're pretty generous on paid time off too, so you can use some of those days. But the point is that whether it's something like that pro bono opportunity or it's leading a cause based thing. And last year, I also got involved with um, a co this college called the College of Adaptive Arts, which is basically these two women are amazing. They they started this college level program for um, people that are typically labeled handicapped or challenged mm -hmm. in numerous, numerous ways um, because they wanted to create, once, you're, once you turn 18, you're like basically off of a lot of different programs. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't anything to kind of keep them going to develop skills and things like this. So they've been doing this program for 15 years now and I just happened to find it because I saw a license plate and I was like, where is this place? And anyways, long story short, I met her. They did a fundraiser. I jumped right in because that's like a superpower that we all seem to have because we've done it a million times. Mm -hmm. And it's a relationship that's begun. And it's in this space of giving voice to causes um, because it's something that interests me and it helps me raise up a cause just by participating in it. So when we think about, when I think about your question about, you know, why D&I and, and, and what, what, it, what does it bring to me, you know, at the root, a lot of this is my identity, but it's also like as we leave our legacy, um, you know, as by example to our children, it's in the work that we do. And I truly believe that it's easier to bring volunteers and interest to a topic if you're rolling up your sleeves and doing it yourself. Because yeah. actually, sometimes you just need to have a conversation and say, hey, come along with me. And that's usually how it is, right? We try. That's, and I mean, that's what I do in Atlanta all the time. I'm like, okay. I'm going to go do this and I'm like you're coming and it's like yeah and, you know, and people appreciate it because they're like I never would have done that I can't tell you how many times I've just like literally put it up there said just show up it's a couple hours and they're like oh my god this was so great it's like yeah and it, see and now you helps, can do this and it makes such a difference and I think I want to be very clear on you know people that are listening to the podcast it's so important that you don't this is not we're not saying you have to do this 40 hours a week we're not saying Min like just a few hours here and there helps a company, helps a business, helps, you know, anyone with what they want to do. Some people just need help. And there's so many local organizations yeah. and community and find the ones that you're passionate about. Exactly. It doesn't have to be these big national, international no, companies. No, no, no. It's start, Go, you know, start with your community. inner circle or your life, right? And then just start small, right? It's like, it's baby steps. And like, if you don't know how to get started, just ask anybody and you know again that's the easy part of what we get to do but you know a lot of businesses have these things baked in you know in a company of whatever 110,000 sometimes it's hard to see yeah. how to get involved and stuff but we're fortunate because we're connected to those groups um, and it's part of the culture here which again a cool part of it and and we get to channel the, and do things that you know interest us yeah. because it's part of who we are and, and putting that out. Yeah, and we just as you and I, we both feed off of it and we just so enjoy it. So yeah, you know, not to get political, but going down the road of, you know, are you fearful today with the current political environment? Are you fearful that we're going backwards? Because I, I yes, as a woman, as a person of color, absolutely. Uh, with an election in front of us that could go sideways and, you know, make changes potentially for the worse. Yeah, so you can probably figure out. Yeah, lifelong, lifelong impact on society as for a whole. For sure. And so I think, you know, now more than ever, it, it's um, there's an imperative for those of us who uh, feel confident enough in our views 
what we care about to kind of raise our hand and get involved. So whether that's get out there and vote. I mean, both of my kids, I'm sure yours as well, knew like you're not, you're voting. You don't have a voice in this discussion. That's what Alexander did. The night of his birthday, he turned 18 on Wednesday. He literally 1201 registered to vote. And I said, you know what? I've done something right. You waited up. And then he goes, you know, I could have registered six months ago. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Six months before you turned 18. I, I don't remember which daughter, but one of them registered like whenever they heard about it, like yeah. a couple years. And it was like, really? Anyways, the point is that, you yeah. know, to, to be part, to live where we live and be part of the process, you have to kind of show up and, and understand that. You may not, they may not, that generation doesn't agree with anything, right? And, yeah. and even my views per se. But it starts with, um, we have a vote in the process. And so by advocating and, and getting involved, I mean, I've, I swear I'm probably going to get involved in register to vote initiatives and other things because... Same. It's really on the generation, um, our kids' generation, that, you know, there's so, many of them are so um, disillusioned, but it's like, but the process can't change if you don't get involved, you know, and, and that's the big and, problem. And I think, and, and you know, you and I have talked about this, God, I mean, I'm such a passion with politics, but, you know, people, just because you don't like a candidate and then you choose, well, I'm just not going to vote, has an impact. And I keep it trying totally, to fight that message of, like, that's why we're in the situation we are. People are like, I, mean, oh, it's, oh, I just, you know. I mean, it's that whole thing of apathy, right? And some other things. I mean, you had a guest fairly recently, and she was talking about um, advocacy and activism, yeah. you know, and allyship, which I thought was beautiful yeah, because she's it's an kind agitator. of all of those. She's, she refers to herself as an agitator. She's like, I want I, people to get like angry and mad to make a difference. I yeah. love that. And if that's what it takes, I'm right there with her because. The whole, the whole matter is, I mean, the whole reality is if, you know, we can only bring the change that we want to see, but if by, you know, turning the head the other way, nothing's going to change, right? So, so we, we have to show voices. by example. And yes. I do think, you know, you and I are two of the loud voices, which I love about you, <laughs> but it is, we can make a difference. And I think having our children see that we can make a difference, even Absolutely. something small, every, you know, every vote counts, every opinion counts our legacy, our parents, we're who we are because of the life our Absolutely. parents gave us. And I Absolutely. Think that's and, and that's what thing. I carry with myself all the time. Yeah. I know you do as well, which is, um, you know, we are there to drive the change we want to mm -hmm. see. You know, and change doesn't happen, whatever change, right? It doesn't no. happen fast. No. It happens over time. And we're in this for the long game, so we'll keep fighting as long as we can keep fighting. A Absolutely. And be agitators. Uh, be agitators. <laughs> You know, and I, I'd love you to give, you know, one question about, you know, what do you want people to learn from your involvement with, you know, um, DEIB, you know, kind of um, philosophy? Like, what do you get out of it? You know, you know I, that helps. yeah, I, you know, I think that question is going to be different, right, for everybody, mm -hmm. because um, I think first it's an acknowledgement of whatever situation we're in. Let's use business because, you know, this is kind of, we kind of work in business. But, yeah. like, if you're on a project or you work on a team, um, you know, there's always this fear of, of the, all of us being complicit because we don't have power. But the truth be told, you know, that groupthink mentality doesn't ever make anything better. So we have to be brave enough, confident enough. I don't know what the word is in this mm -hmm. situation to kind of be vocal, 
-hmm. not necessarily in a combative way. And you know, as a woman, we always come out punching, right? Because we want to be heard. But to you know, in a thoughtful way. If we're not, we're being told we are. Right. Exactly. But you know, I think you know when you're designing tech product projects, Mm -hmm. products, when you're you know solving a community problem or whatever, it's really at challenging the the project or the discussion. So when I think about what can people learn or bring into, you know, a mindset that makes things better, it's a, it's the conversations, learning to have those conversations to kind of figure out how you work through it. Because like, you know, when you make a decision like you're voting on something or whatever, that's fine. But if there's something in your gut, I always go for the gut check, mm-hmm. that's like, that doesn't feel right. Well, talk it out because chances are if you might have a feeling about a situation, whether it's work, personal, whatever, there might be somebody else in that situation that's questioning the very same thing. And that's how we evolve. So for me, you know, diversity of thought is like mm-hmm. that D in the DNI, yes. diversity of thought. And that applies to the people in the room right the people in the room the types of conversations we're having to make it better or make you know make whatever it is we're doing make it better and that's all about communicating it's reading people it's the words because words do matter it's all of that and so i'm working on this like you know i think you know my father always said he's like you know always ask questions and always listen because that lets you learn from someone else and their experience is not your experience Absolutely. And no one's better than the other. We're all equal. And in the end, and it was those lessons that I'm so fascinated by people and you are the same, all cultures, all backgrounds, all, I just want to always know and learn from, you know, everyone's legacy to get to where we right. are because it just, right. we're all not that different. We've all gone through challenges and, no, we're and human. obviously some are so much harder, of course, <laughs> yeah. but but we're human and that's, human. you know, and so if we start there, I mean, there's no tech that could, you know, fix that part of being human, right? And so I, you know, when I think about this thing, you know, how companies evolve, I mean, right now we're living in a time where a lot of people are backing away from, oh, D&I, oh, no. Yeah. That's the, you know, in my it's view, wrong. that's wrong. It's the wrong move. I mean, I'm glad that we're, we've got a team, you know, it's important, it, you know, and I hope that doesn't change. Uh, but there's, you know, plenty of companies that are running away because it's like, we did this and nothing happened, but, you know, it's like, this is well, not everyone's fearful. And I think, yeah. Gail, you know, I think so many people are fearful that they're going to make the wrong step and companies and corporations in general are always worried about backlash. But sometimes being bold, you might get yeah. backlash. That's okay. And that's yeah. if you want to be a strong, like, I think there's so many great brands out there right now. I love Patagonia. I yeah. love, um, what was the one we were talking about? It was Red Mill, how the founder just gave the company to the employees and just yeah. like, there's so many examples of companies really giving back, but mm-hmm. also really making a difference, whether it be climate or, you know, diversity or, you know, just any type of, you know, supporting LGBTQ plus rights, you know, yeah, being public I mean, I think, about that, you know, I, I you know, and, and to that point, right. Everybody's different. So like maybe your thought about how, how you live your life, you know, there's probably something that you do that you're participating in that process, but, uh, you know, by cause, by interest, by even how you work. But I think, you know, we show up better when we are receptive, you know, to different things. Um, you know, again, that term group thing just makes me crazy, you know, and like when decisions get made fast, 
It's like, I, wait, I never this loved up. it. I remember we were, that was really a big thing a while ago. And it was like, man, it just doesn't, you, it just, we're not home. Like, you know, all have the same opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah for sure. You and I could talk about this, you know, I just, I, I'm so passionate about this and I know you are too. And I love, you know, seeing everything you're doing and you're like, tip of the iceberg there's so much more gail has to offer yeah i mean yeah i think all of us right we are like that iceberg you see just the very top and and for you know for me personally i'm working on the getting a little deeper because to kind of bring change in this space this passion space gotta like bring it up a little bit and and so you know when you when we finally got this on the calendar it's like thank you for letting me spend time with you to talk about this because it is it is this journey, you know, from childhood to now and reflecting on that and like, how can I be a better advocate, you know, a better ally, be an agitator so that people can feel like it's okay. You know, nobody's good. Not everybody is going to agree with me or, or whatever, but, you know, feel brave enough to, to be you. And, you know, if I can be a guide along the way, I'll sign me up. I'm there, you know, I, now. I could not have said it better myself. I'm one, one last closing question, as you know, and they're kind of interchangeable to some degree, but not what empowers and what inspires Gail? Oh, you know, um, I think what empowers me is the people that are in my life, the, you know, the circle of trust, the, the people like yourself that, um, give me the energy and the ideas to keep you know, defining those next chapters in our career and our life. So I would say that 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 is the thing that really empowers me uh, to keep being me. Uh, and then you know, tone it down when you need to tone it down. I think what ex- inspires me. Um, I just oh god, if my daughters listen to this, they'll probably roll their eyes and say really. Um, would be you know this generation specifically my daughters because this is our this is part of our legacy and the the change that they will bring and the the beauty into the world that that we leave behind when we do finally leave this place so i think what is inspires me is like that work in process when i look at that next generation is really what inspires me it keeps me motivated to keep doing me um because it allows them to kind of launch right which is where i think both of our kids are are which is we're trying to help them launch yeah. Of course, they may not want the advice, right, along the way. Yeah. They're really good at telling us that. But, but we're always there. Absolutely. We're there to help them launch in whatever yeah. stage, and you know the evolution of it, because they launch, and then they come home, and then they launch, and then they come back. Well, we're kind of the, yeah, we're supposed to be the foundations of making sure that foundation is there, just like in a house, right? So yeah. so I would say that's, that's the thing that kind of does it, but they are kind of interchangeable, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, at the core, it's people and humans actually is the answer too, right? So yeah, I love that. No, and, and Gail, you know, I truly, you are in my inner circle. You've been in my inner circle. Um, and I just, you push me to be a better human, a better person, a better mom, a better coworker. You've inspired me, you know, I'll get all emotional. You've inspired me and we're along my side many to a time. So, um, Thank you for inspiring me. Like, as you can tell, like anyone knows my voice, I'm like crackling really. And the the difference you make, you know, it's, you're making such a difference and such an impact and having your parents legacy and yours, you know, it's going to carry on with your kids and their kids. And I think that that's, you know, you're inspiring every day to me, Gail. And I'm just, I'm appreciative of you in my world. 
Well, uh, it's right back at you, boomerang. If we were doing emojis, right? Because yeah. that's that's the you know that's the true nature of the the relationships and that we build over time. And uh, you know, in this chapter here in these days of SAP, right? That's a lot of why you know of, of how we bring it forward, how we pay it forward, and, and as I say, so so thank you for inviting me to have this conversation because. It's such an important one that sometimes we have in our head, but you know, it's great to have it with a friend as yeah. to what's driving that why, and that's a lot and, of it. Inspire other people and really yes. get people, you know, if you don't know and need help, Gail and I, you can reach both of us. We're happy to help you navigate as you're trying to find opportunities in your local community. We're here and you know, whatever you, you need and just know, you know, make sure everyone has a voice because some people can't speak up for themselves or scared. And that's what, you know, we're two examples of people that will be supportive. Um, Gail, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on Her Stories. And I look Thank forward to you. another episode. We have, we have so many other topics we can talk about. I'm, I'm sure I'll have you back as a guest another time. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining Her Stories. Stay tuned for another episode.